This program is brought to you by Grand Valley State University. This is an interview for the Veterans History Project at the Library of Congress. This interview was conducted on June 2nd, 2008 by Jenna Brong, wife of Sergeant Matthew Brong in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Sergeant Brong was born on September 27, 1983. He was deployed to Iraq with the U.S. Army in August 2006 through May 2007. Matt, can you give us a brief overview of your childhood? Uh, I was born in Petoskey, Michigan. I grew up uh, just down the road in uh, Boyne City. I graduated high school there in 2002. Uh, from there I went off to Michigan State University where I was uh, enrolled in Army ROTC. I dropped out of that in uh, May of 2004 to enlist. Um, the middle child of three, I have a younger sister and an older brother. Uh, my older brother is also in the Army. Uh, he's a captain. Have you always wanted to be in the Army? Uh, specifically the Army, no, but I've always wanted to be in the military. Have you... is it a family thing, or...? Yeah, very much so. Uh, it's a family tradition. Uh, my brother was already... Uh, already had his commission when I enlisted. Uh, my father was in the Air Force in Vietnam before either of us were born. Uh, before that, uh, his grandfather, or my grandfather, his father was uh, in the Army with the uh, 1st Armored Division in World War II. Uh, my other grandfather on my mother's side uh, was, uh, he retired Air Force. He initially enlisted Marine. Uh, then he went to the Army Air Corps before the Air Force existed, and he went with the. Uh, he he was one of the founding members of the Air Force. And how did you decide to enlist instead of continue with the ROTC project? Uh. Uh. Partly my grades weren't so great, uh, and me in college just weren't a match, and I just felt like I was spinning my wheels in the mud, and I felt like I needed to actually start doing something towards my career and actually get moving forward and get working on a career rather than just sitting around reading books. And when did your enlistment begin? Uh, I uh, was took the oath uh, 28 April of 04 and then I shipped out to basic a month later on 26 May of 04. And where did you ship to? Uh, I flew into Atlanta, Georgia, and then we were bused from there down to Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry. Were there any special requirements, physical requirements for basic training? Uh, physical requirement. Well, uh, when we arrived at basic training, I forget how much it was we were supposed to be able to do as far as push-ups, sit-ups, and run, but there was a the three basic, I mean, those that's the, the three events of the Army Physical Fitness Test are the push-up, sit-up, and run. And when you arrived at basic training, you had to be able to do something like, it was stupid, it was like 16 push-ups, I want to say 30 sit-ups, and a really slow one mile. Uh, it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, and then, of course, before you shipped down to basic, they checked your criminal background and 
made sure you had a high school diploma or a GED. How long was basic training? Oof. Forty weeks, I th or no? That's that's not right. It was less than that. Say about three months. Yeah. Give or take. Three months, give or take. I forget how long it was. It was just over three months. I think it was like three months in a week or something like that. Okay. So then, after basic training, what did you do? Uh, after basic training, I loaded up on a bus, uh, and shipped over to uh. Airborne school to get my jump wings. And how long was airborne school? Uh, airborne school was four weeks. Uh, first week was ground week where you learned how to fall down theoretically. We're going to teach you how to fall so it doesn't hurt. Yeah, right. It hurts every time. Uh, the second week was the tower week where you learn how to you jump out of the 34 foot towers and learn how to actually properly exit the military aircraft. Uh, you want to pay attention during that week, otherwise you'll end up bouncing off the side of the aircrafts. Uh, the third week was the 250-foot tower week, which they didn't actually get to jump too many guys off the 250-foot tower because there was only so many slots, so they picked everybody. They always had some random way of coming up with who they jumped off of those towers. I think when I was there, it was birthdays. And then the fourth week was jump week, where you do your four jumps. It's supposed to be a jump a day. Monday through Thursday, and then Friday you get your wings. Uh, that Monday of my jump week was my 21st birthday, which I didn't get to go out and drink because I had to jump. Uh, but we didn't get to jump because we got rained out, so I just sat in the pack shed, sitting in the harness for like four hours, and they said, ah, take them off. Let's run through the rain home. I said, yeah, thanks. Uh... <laughs> So then, after airborne school, where did you go? Uh, after airborne school, I bust again across post to uh, the Ranger Indoctrination Program, the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, which was the unit I was going to go into until uh, like you have to pass the Ranger Indoctrination Program to go into the Ranger Regiment. And while I was in the Ranger Indoctrination Program, I broke my foot and I was medically dropped from the course. So then, were you sent? Where were you sent with having a broken foot? What happened after after that? Uh, I got stuck in hole over there for a couple of months while and I think it took six weeks for the cast to come off and then after the cast came off it took another month and a half, give or take, to get me orders uh, to my first duty station which was Fort Bragg. So they shipped me up to Fort Bragg to become part of the 82nd Airborne. Okay, and so when did when were you shipped to Fort Bragg? Probably late February of '05 was when I came up to Bragg. Okay. Um, and how did you? What did you think about it? What did you think about the 82nd? What did I think about the 82nd Airborne? Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't really have an opinion of it one way or the other. I had heard what all the guys down in the Ranger Training Detachment had to say about the 82nd Airborne, and uh. The Ranger Regiment and the 82nd Airborne mix about as well as absolutely any ridiculously rival, large <laughs> sports rival. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they all call the 82nd Airborne the 82nd Airplane Gang because they don't like us. Oh. But 
then once I got up here, I heard all the things that up here had to say about back there the Ranger <laughs> Regiment, and I I have to agree with them. It's the heavy, most heavily armed fraternity on the face of the planet. Oh, the the Airborne is or the no, Rangers? No, the, the Ranger Regiment is the most heavily armed fraternity on the face of the planet. <laughs> Okay, and how long were you at Fort Bragg before you were deployed? Mm. Uh, the first deployment wasn't overseas, it was just down in New Orleans for hurricane relief, and that was September of 05. Yeah, 05. Uh, so that was seven months after uh, we were. Yeah, seven months after we were. Uh, or after I was stationed here, mm -hmm. and that was uh, my battalion in the 82nd was on uh, DRF-1, which is Division Ready Force 1. It's the one battalion in the 82nd that's ready to go anywhere on a moment's notice. Uh, so we got called up on a moment's notice to go down to New Orleans and clean up after Katrina. And we became the bulk of the man force for uh, Joint Task Force Katrina. But uh, <laughs> that was kind of funny. We actually, I mean, the way we actually officially found out was we had our little phone alert rosters, and you know we had our person call us and say, "Hey, we've had an alert. You have to come in." Yada yada yada. But uh, I didn't see, uh, or I didn't get that call until after I had seen it on CNN. And once I saw President Bush on CNN saying, "I'm sending paratroopers from the 82nd Airborne," I said, "Hmm, that phone's going to be ringing in a minute." And not five minutes later, there it rang. So, what was it like being in, in with the Joint Task Force Katrina? What what was that like? Uh, it was kind of awkward because nobody really knew what the procedure was for. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? For uh, stateside peacetime. Yeah, it's kind operations. of rare that the 80s that a soldier active duty soldiers would be deployed somewhere stateside. Well, it's, it's not entirely rare because the 82nd Airborne has actually done it before with Hurricane Andrew down in Florida, but that was back in, when was that, the early 90s? Uh, so it's been a quick minute since the 82nd Airborne has done it, and no one knew what to do. Like, we went in and we started pulling all the weapons out of the arms room, uh, and they, after we got done doing that, they turned around, and the powers that be turned around and said, wait, no, you did it wrong. Go turn in all the machine guns, because we couldn't take machine guns with us, because machine guns can't even be carried uh, in a non-combat zone. Right, like a civilian. Yeah, they can't be, they can't even be around to possibly even be used. Oh. Uh, I mean, not that, I mean, what, what purpose would there be for having a chain-fed machine gun in New Orleans? And, Right. Ridiculous. Right. Um, and then after Katrina, you got deployed to Iraq, right? In August of '06. Yeah, August of '06, we got uh, the orders to Iraq. Uh, the orders initially said expected to uh, the expected duration was initially said to be 180 days, uh, but. It was 180 days, not to exceed 365, so that means you're going for 12 months, get used to it. Uh, and then while we were uh, in Iraq was when the powers that be extended all the tours for the Army by three months. So then it became a 15-month deployment. 
And what was your reaction to, one, the initial deployment and then the extension? Um... The initial deployment was, I mean, as tough as it is for anybody because I had to leave friends and family and I'd leave my son when he was four months old and so I missed seeing him grow up a lot. Uh, my reaction when I found out we got extended, I can't honestly say because I don't remember it. Oh, okay. Um... So while you were overseas, you said you missed family. Was there anything else that you missed mm. being deployed? Uh, missed spending time with friends and family, seeing my little boy grow up. Uh, other stuff I missed. Uh, season three of Lost. <laughs> uh, I'm from Michigan, so I'm a big Tigers fan, or I had been way back in the day, but. Way back in the day, the Tigers hadn't been doing so good, like, ever since I had been alive, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> bad year, bad year, bad year, bad year, bad year. All that had to happen for the Tigers to have a good year was for me to go to Iraq. Bam, World Series. Did you guys get to watch the game? Uh, I believe the rest of the FOB got to watch the game. I was on patrol that night. So you didn't even get to watch it? I didn't even get to watch that game, no. <laughs> <laughs> um... Was there was there events like that? Was that commonplace for you to be able to watch um, sports from back home? Uh, to the extent, like, I mean, for all the guys we had on the FOB, to the extent your individual job, whatever it might have been on the FOB, allowed you to, I mean, if you had that time off, you had that time off, and to the extent possible they would show if it was the World Series or the Super Bowl or... Stuff like that. They would show that stuff uh, like in the dining hall to the extent possible, but it would all depend on uh, all sorts of little things, whether or not they could get satellite rights to it and stuff like that. So you were by no means like shut out from, you know, the U.S. You were still... No, no, no. We had, I mean, we had phones. We had uh, internet. I mean, they were both paid by the minute, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, and in, uh, in both cases, both would get blacked out anytime anyone on the FOB got uh, killed or injured. They would black out the communication to the outside world until uh, they could uh, get a hold of the uh, injured or dead's uh, next of kin and notify them. Uh, and we have mail too. Uh, all all mail we sent from the combat zone was free. We just wrote free mail up on the top, and where you put the stamp, you write free mail and send it out, and we get there. So for the most part, it sounds like spirits among the soldiers were pretty high. The camaraderie was pretty, pretty um, uplifting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody got everybody. Everybody found ways to ease the tensions and deal with what they had to do. Got to know a lot of guys better, get to be better friends with a lot of guys. And there were so many guys that you got to know way better than you ever wanted to. Mm -hmm. But that's the job. Yeah. And um, was there at any time, because your deployment was for 12 months, or initially, was there any time that you got to go home during your deployment? 
Yeah, everybody that went over got, I think it was 16 days of rest and recreation leave. Uh, and it would depend on when during the deployment you got to go, because like each unit could only send, I forget what percent it was, of their unit on leave at one time. But I mean, it was, there was only ever maybe two or three guys from one company on leave, if that much. Uh, Grant, I mean, you know, there's however many companies we had on the file, I think six or seven. Uh, and they would all have a guy or two on leave, so it would add up. I mean, there may be seven guys gone from the five on leave at one time. But uh, So when did you get to take your uh, rest and relaxation leave? Uh, I took my rest and relaxation leave. Uh, I flew out of Brassfield on the 22nd of March of 07. Uh, and I didn't arrive back stateside until uh, the 26th of March, which was my son's birthday. So I got to fly home for my son's first birthday. Oh, that was that must have been really exciting to see them after being gone for so long. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it was something else. Hmm. So you got the 16 days. So that would bring you. You got back to Iraq at the beginning of April, second week of April, something like that. Oh, yeah, I'm... When was it? I think the 10th of April I had to fly back. It must have been hard to leave everybody. Mm, as easy as it was the first time, but... Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do. Um, you were injured in an IED explosion um, at the end of May. Can you explain kind of what happened, the events that happened before and then immediately after? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 26 May 07, which was my uh, three-year anniversary in the Army. Uh, I was on a mounted patrol. Uh, I was in the last of four trucks. And the, other, the first three trucks had dro actually driven over the bomb. And then the guy decided, wait, I missed those first three, I'm going to get this one. Boom. Uh, and blew up the whole, really the whole chunk of road underneath our truck to him. I mean, it got our truck also. Uh, we had five guys in the truck. Uh, the two guys were dead just at the push of a button, just like that. Uh, the third guy died in the medevac chopper with us. Uh, I don't know how many minutes later, half hour later, maybe 45 minutes. Um, what was the extent of your injuries? Uh, I had multiple fractured vertebrae. Uh, the one was a burst fracture, which was, uh, in my lower back, right where the back plate in my body armor rested, right, right, right where the bottom edge of my back plate was. That vertebrae just went to pieces. Uh, now, I, now I have uh, surgically implanted uh, titanium rods on either side of my spinal cord, and I have uh, multiple surgically fused vertebrae, and I also had a moderate to severe traumatic brain injury, which is why I didn't remember what was it earlier. When, I, when we found out we got extended, uh, that was part of a wreck that I just don't remember from the brain injury. So memory loss is one of the symptoms of, or one of the lasting effects of your brain injury? Uh, yeah, I'm mean, like memory around the time of the blast, I, I mean I don't even remember the blast at all. 
uh, I don't remember, several weeks before the blast, uh, there was a, initially, like, five, uh, initially I had what was re referred to as uh, post-traumatic amnesia, or uh, they also called it retrograde amnesia, just depended on what neuropsych you were talking to. Uh, but f I had that for five to six weeks after the blast, and for five to six weeks after the blast, I didn't remember my son's birth 14 months before the blast. So you had about 14 months where that were lost? Initially, I mean, they came back in time. Oh, okay. Of the three that were killed, how well did you know them? Uh, pretty decently. The one I didn't really know too much, he was a pretty quiet guy. All I knew was he took care of his job, and you knew his end was covered, and he was good, and that was it. Uh, the other guy, uh, I was his team leader way back when before he deployed, and then he got transferred to a different squad. Uh, and then right before the blast, he got transferred back into my fire team. So I was actually his team leader when he died. And then the third guy was the other team leader in my uh, squad. He was my roommate in Iraq. It must have been hard to lose three guys that you knew pretty well. Yeah. So you said that you, the three of you that um, had survived the blast, um, had been air vac Where were you sent to? Um, we were air vac'd uh, right from on site. I mean, initially, right after the blast, the three trucks had to turn around and find where the fourth truck disappeared to because the fourth truck was thrown through the air end over end several times, completely off the road. Just, they heard a boom and they looked back and the last truck was gone and they didn't know where we were so they had to find us off the road and set up a perimeter around us and call in a helicopter and all that. Uh, the medevac chopper landed right on the highway to pick us up, which the medevac choppers hate landing on highways, but it was what we needed so they did it. Uh, we were flown from there to Balad, Iraq, which was the closest uh, major trauma center, I believe. Uh, we stayed there, I think, just overnight, a matter of hours. I had back surgery there. Uh, I don't know to what extent, but they cut me open there, that's all I know. Uh, and from there we were aerovac to Launchstuhl, Germany, which is the uh, major medical stopping ground for all injured service members before coming back to the States. Uh, we both had back surgery in Launchstuhl. And you and the other soldier? The two of us Both. that were still surviving at that point. The one guy had died in flight to Balad. Uh, the, the other two of us survived. And we had similar back injuries. Uh, we both had back surgery in launch stool to have metal implanted and get the bones put back into a working order. Uh, we were that was in Germany, and then from there we were aerovac'd into uh, Andrews Air Force Base outside of DC, and uh, bossed probably by ambulance over to Walter Reed Army Medical Center, also outside of DC. Uh, and what was the the continued diagnosis once you got to Walter Reed? You had already had your surgeries and everything. 
Um, were you conscious? Uh, I believe I was conscious. Uh, I didn't open my eyes until I got to Germany. Uh, and then I was, uh, I was conscious in, back in Walter Reed, like, the army flew my family in to see me and put them up in hotels and all that stuff so they could come and see me at Walter Reed. Uh, and I was conscious, uh, I believe I was intubated at the time, so I don't know how well I was talking. Uh, but my, my aunt had come down to see me, uh, from northeastern Pennsylvania, and she said that, uh, it was like, like, talking to me when I, back then was, it, it was like, it was me, but it was me, like, in a bubble, like, I was there, but it wasn't, I wasn't really there. And then later on, after I had, uh, come out of post-traumatic amnesia and become a lot more socially active, uh, she was talking to me again, and she says, oh, now it's like talking to you, just like, back when you were two or three. And it was like I was me again, so to speak. So how long were you at Walter Reed? Uh, they flew me into Walter Reed on the 1st of June, and I was discharged from Walter Reed and transferred down to the Hunter Holmes McGuire Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Richmond, Virginia on the 27th of June, so 27 days. And then they transfer me from there down to uh, the McGuire VA, which is one of five uh, uh, military uh, TBI rehab centers in the nation. Do you remember any of your time at Walter Reed? Um, you, we're no. talking about post-traumatic amnesia. Um, so you don't remember any of Walter Reed? What about um, Richmond, Virginia? Uh, I don't remember being at Walter Reed whatsoever. Like I, I have a, I have vague memories of uh, being in a garden, and there were, there was no gardens in Richmond, so the gardens I was in uh, was in Walter Reed, and that was when I was relearning how to walk. Because I, I mean, I had I completely went back to square one. I had to completely relearn how to walk, uh, and. While I was relearning how to walk, they took me to the gardens there in Walter Reed and let me walk around with a walker and with a cane uh, as I got better. Uh, so I, re I remember that, but I don't remember a time of day or anything. I just know it was day and I was in a garden. And uh, even how good those, I mean, those memories are just sketchy at best. All I really remember is I was in the garden, and I want to say I remember the garden being somewhat triangular, but I don't even know if that's right. And I remember being on a balance machine, because when I was in uh, Richmond, they put me on another balance machine. And I said, oh, I've been on one of these machines before. And they said, oh yeah, they probably put you on one back at Walter Reed. So I would say I remember being on that balance machine back at Walter Reed. I, d I don't know exactly. Uh, the one neuropsych I talked to about it suggested the reason I remembered it was because it was a machine that was designed to throw me off balance and test my balances and stuff like that, so it was a little more traumatic being on one of those machines than just laying in a hospital bed, so I probably remembered that a little bit better because it was more of a traumatic thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember that, but otherwise I don't really remember anything of Walter Reed whatsoever. Uh, and there, then there was a good week while I, when I was in uh, 
Richmond that I like. I, after I've been in Richmond for two weeks, because uh, when I showed up in Richmond, I was scoring high enough on some of the neuropsych tests that they thought I was out of post-traumatic amnesia, but I guess there was they were kind of split. A couple of the therapists said I was out of it, and a couple of them said I wasn't. Uh, and after I had been there two weeks, they asked me how long I had been there, and I said I've been here about a week. And I said, No, you've been here two. So there's that first week in Richmond that I don't remember because that was when I was still in post-traumatic amnesia. And after I'd been in Richmond for a week was when I transitioned out of post-traumatic amnesia and started putting memories together day to day where to the point that I could remember what I did in therapy the day before. Before that it was just, oh, I'm here, this person's talking to me, maybe they want something. Mm -hmm. How long were you at the Richmond VA? Mm. I got there on the 27th of June, I was discharged and put on convalescent leave on the 2nd of August, so 36 days? I, I think, yeah. But you, and you remember most of Richmond? Um, yeah. So, after you left Richmond, where did you go? Uh, after I left Richmond, excuse me. After I left Richmond, I was released on convalescent leave, and uh, me, and my wife, and my son moved back down to Fayetteville, uh, and just it was convalescent leave. Didn't really. I mean, it was convalescent leave, but I still had care. I still had to go into uh, doctor's appointments here and there, but there wasn't really that many doctor's appointments. It was just like I still had to go to speech pathology every so often to try to work more on memory and stuff like that. So once you got back to Fort Bragg, you still had doctor's appointments and everything? Yeah, um, so I did, uh, initially speech pathology and physical therapy. Have there been any lasting effects of either the back injury or the brain injury? Um, back injury-wise, I can't carry nearly as much weight as I used to be able to carry. Uh, I can't jump out of airplanes anymore. Uh, I can't run as fast as I used to be able to run. I'm, I got cleared to run again, medically speaking. It's, it's just I'm not running as good as I used to, so I have to build back up the skill. Uh, Memory-wise, uh, I have decreased uh, short-term memory, where if there's a change in daily routine, I have to set an alarm for it, either in my cell phone or in my PDA, or I'll forget about it every time. And it's like, if I if I go to a formation in the morning, say, all right, we're gonna do the end of day formation two hours early. I have to set an alarm for it right then. I can't even say, all right, I'll set an alarm for it in an hour because I don't have my phone on me right now. I'll forget about it. So, were you clear to stay in the army, or did you need to medically retire? I'm uh, medically reclass. Uh, I, I can't be an infantryman anymore because to be an infantryman you have to be able to carry 160 pounds, and I can only carry 80 now. Uh, so I have to medically reclassify to a new job. Generally speaking, more towards a desk. Uh, are you a member of any of the veterans organizations? Ooh, start a list. 
I'm a member of the American Legion, I'm a member of the VFW, I'm a life member of the Military Order of the Purple Heart. Uh, I think my memberships in uh, a couple of the organizations expired while I was in the hospital and I haven't renewed them yet, but the Association of the United States Army, the 82nd Airborne Association, and the Panther Association, all three of those I think are out of date, but I just have to refill it out and send it in. With all of the knowledge of your injury and all of the um, problems that you've had, I shouldn't say problems, with all of the experience that you've had since enlisting, would you, if you could go back the three years, almost four years, um, would you still enlist? Yeah. Yeah. No question about that. Uh, even if, I mean, even if it was like part of the enlistment contract, you will be blown up on such and such a date in however many years, I'd still do it. Uh, it's a dirty world and it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Of your years of experience, what kind of are the highlights? Um, there's been a lot of downside, the whole deployment, the injury. Mm -hmm. um, are there any positive experiences you've had? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's been plenty. Um, when I was in New Orleans, I remember walking patrols through the French Quarter and having people come up to us and thank us for being there and making their neighborhood safe again. Uh, there was a number of people that told us, uh, like, right after the uh, hurricane, they would hear uh, weapons fire at night all the time, um, even to include automatic weapons fire. Uh, we showed up in town and we started walking patrols through the French Quarter every couple of hours and they said it was just like somebody flipped a switch, the gunfire stopped. Uh, so that, I mean, that was a positive experience. Uh, I remember uh, when Vice President Cheney flew into New Orleans right after Hurricane Katrina to survey the, the site and wave the flag and all that, uh, my platoon was selected to provide security on his helicopter landing zone. So remember that. Um, hmm. I remember seeing Vice, or uh, not Vice President Cheney, uh, President Bush come down to Fort Benning, or not Fort Benning, Fort Bragg, excuse me, on uh, the 4th of July of 06. I got to go see him on post when he came down to do that speech. Uh, got to go to that with uh, my one buddy who died in the blast with me. That was a positive memory. Positive memory from Iraq, there was the one day we were, I forget, we were out on some little patrol, I forget, it was just, we had to have somebody in sector or something, so we were in sector, and I forget what excuse we had, but we were searching a house, and we wouldn't just do it for no reason, we had some reason, I just don't remember what it was. Uh, and while we were searching this house, uh, we heard cracks in the air overhead, somebody was shooting at us. And they were shooting just as well as absolutely every Iraqi shoots, which is not at all especially at range. Uh, so they were shooting at us from, I don't know how many yards away, 300 maybe, 350. Uh, 
because we looked off to where we from where we heard it coming from and we saw a car parked next to a berm out there and this guy was sitting out on the berm shooting at us and it was cracking in the air probably 10 or 20 feet overhead because he doesn't know how to shoot at distance or at all so we loaded up our guys in the trucks and we went chasing over to the berm to try to get him and as we started closing range on the berm this guy peeled out of there in a hurry and just sped up the highway to the north because he knew we were coming for him and innocent people don't run <laughs> so do the math uh, we chased him to the north and uh, just up the highway he pulled into a little village and there was only three roads going in and out of that village one from the highway and then there was two at the backside so we sent two trucks in the village after him to chase him through the village and he had to go through a busy business district uh, and then we sent two trucks around the village to the south to try to flank around the village and cut off the exit to keep him trapped in the village uh, I was in one of those trucks uh, and while we were flanking around the town to try to cut off the exit to the town we got flagged down by an Iraqi which Iraqis don't do that it doesn't happen why is an Iraqi going to flag down an American soldier? There's no reason whatsoever. Uh, this Iraqi had his son in the backseat of his car, and his son had a uh, gunshot wound to the chest and was bleeding profusely. His son and his son's friend had been playing with his AK, and it went off. And the kid took around in the chest, and for whatever reason that day, we came under fire and we chased that car to the north and because of that we were right there and because of that we ran into that guy and just by pure random chance the one medic that traveled with our platoon on patrol was in one of those two trucks going around the town with us uh... so we got the kid to the medic just like that doc patched him up to the extent possible i mean there's not a lot you can do with a gunshot wound you all you can do is bandage it, stop the bleeding, and say, all right, he needs to get to the hospital right now. Uh, and the guy was rushing his son to the Iraqi hospital, but that kid would have bled out before he ever got there if it hadn't been for running into us and getting patched up by Doc. Doc patched him up, and we sent the kid and his dad off to the hospital. Uh, I don't know if the kid survived or not, I don't know what the Iraqi hospital was, would have been able to do for him or actually did for him, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, that, that, that accident would have happened regardless of whether or not we had ever gone to Iraq. Uh, even if Americans had never set foot on Iraqi soil ever, there's guns, the kids are going to play with guns, it would have happened. But because we invaded Iraq, we were there, and that day, that kid ran into an American medic, and it saved his life. Um, that's a pretty powerful story. Yeah, that's my positive memory of Iraq, I guess. <laughs> Are you proud to be a soldier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's days like that that make me... Or let me know I'm doing the right thing. And what's your future look like now? You said something about having to reclass. Yeah, I've got to reclassify out of the infantry uh, to something more along a desk job. Uh, 
in the process of that, once that gets done, I'll get off and back to the line and back to, well, the line to the extended desk is on the line, uh, and get back to my career. Do you think you'll get deployed again? Uh, I pretty much guarantee it. Are you scared? Uh, I'm, I have the same apprehensions about deployment that anyone anywhere would have, uh, but it's my duty, it's what I gotta do. That's what I'll do. Alright, well thank you so much for letting us interview you. The preceding program is copyrighted by Grand Valley State University. Visit us at gbsu.edu.